Alright, take your Bibles, you can open them up to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1, we're going to look at several passages there in the book of Acts this morning. We're going to talk about spirit-led evangelism. The Great Commission is one of our three purposes uh, here at Wellspring, and uh, I believe that if we're a going church, a church that's that's telling and and uh, doing, uh, preaching the gospel and and uh, telling others the good news of Jesus Christ, then really that fulfills that can fulfill all three of our purposes. The three purposes: uh, one is to glorify and honor Jesus Christ, and I think by fulfilling the Great Commission, we do that. We reflect uh, the light of Jesus Christ into the world. And the other is that the church grows; that uh, we as individuals. Uh, grow the church is uh, edified, built up, and and I believe by us opening our mouths and doing evangelism, telling the good news of Jesus Christ, that uh, it will help us to grow and mature in Christ. It will certainly strengthen our faith. The Great Commission is found at the end of uh, the Gospels in Mark and Matthew, and also in Acts chapter one. And you all know these verses, but I'm gonna I'm gonna read them before we begin in Acts. Uh, The Bible says in Mark chapter 16 and verse 15, Jesus said unto them, Go ye, so it's a go, it's a going, church, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Now that's a heavy task for these, these 12 that are standing there, but through the power of the Holy Spirit and through the power of God, the gospel has spread around the world. And we see that uh, happen. In Matthew chapter 28, Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me, Jesus said, in heaven and in earth. Jesus has all power. And then he says this in verse 19, Go ye, therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and in the Son, and in the Holy Ghost teaching them to observe all things whether I've commanded you, and lo, I am with you always unto the end of the earth, or unto the end of the world. And so that is a comforting uh, thought that Christ begins with saying, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. And then he says to us, I will be with you. I will go with you no matter where you are. There's nowhere in this earth, there's nowhere in this world that we can get far from Christ, get too far from from Him. Then in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, He says to these disciples about uh, receiving the Holy Ghost, He says, But you shall receive power, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses. You know what some evidences of of, of spirit-filledness, or evidences of, of salvation in a believer, is that we become a witness. And what is a witness? It's just someone that if you were to be a witness in, in court, you would just simply you know, state what happened to you or state what you saw. And that's all that it is to, to be a preacher of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is to tell others, to be a witness to others of the change that happened to us because of Jesus Christ. He said, uh, after that, the whole, uh, you've received the Holy Ghost, um, you shall be witnesses Uh, of me, both in Jerusalem, that's where they were at, in Judea, so they're moving out, and into Samaria, they're moving out further, and into the uttermost parts of the earth, and the gospel is to be spread. 
we see that the disciples, they began to fulfill this great commission. In Acts chapter 2, they, are, they do receive the Holy Ghost. And Peter and the disciples on the day of Pentecost, they stand out, right? And they open their mouth and they preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Some received, some didn't. They began to go into the world. You have your Bibles open there in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, begin uh, with me in verse 41. This is after Peter has preached there in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. In verse 41 it says, Then they that gladly received His word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 Souls, Verse 42, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, that's established truth, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. So we begin to see the church here uh, begin to be formed in Acts chapter 2. This is, this is a change from the Old Testament with God primarily dealing with the nation of Israel to now the preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection, and the church, both Jew and Gentile, uh, in one body begin to be formed. Look at verse 47 of Acts chapter 2. Praising God and having favor with all people, and the Lord added to the church daily as should be saved. So people are being saved. People are being born again, and the church is beginning to grow because of the uh, apostles going out and opening their mouth and preaching the gospel. Now look at Acts chapter 6. We're going to kind of look at several scriptures here and we're heading somewhere, so just follow with me. Acts chapter 6 and verse 1. The church is growing. Uh, it's multiplying. People are coming to know Christ under persecution. This is, uh, this is under the Roman rule, and at this time they were, being, they were being persecuted for their faith. Acts chapter 1, or Acts chapter 6 and verse 1. And in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplied... There arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily administration. Church is growing. It's multiplying. There's things that are being missed. It's growing at that, at that, at that kind of a rate. Verse, 20, uh, verse 2, And the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. The church is growing, it's multiplying. The apostles said, hey, you know, the twelve, they said, hey, this is growing so fast, we can't, we can't leave the word of God and, and, the, and the preparation of the message to uh, serve tables. The church, look out among yourself. Seven men that can take over this role. These are the first deacons, the elders of the church or what have you. And, and the qualifications I find are interesting is that they're to be honest and what? Full of the Holy Ghost. They're supposed to be spirit-filled. That means they're spirit-led. That means that they have the fruits of the spirit. There's their evidence in their life. Love, joy, peace, faith, all those sort of things that are there. But I I'm, I'm, want to point out two of the seven... And that's Stephen and Philip. And Stephen and Philip are two of the seven that were chosen. And we begin to see, starting in verse 8, 
all the way down through all of chapter 7, Stephen, one of these deacons filled with the Holy Ghost, stands up there in public and begins to proclaim the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, to, to the scribes, uh, to, the, to the council there at a, at a, um, a synagogue. And they begin to reject him. And he's preaching the whole Old Testament, talking about the Jewish history, and then Christ that came as the Messiah, and then how they crucified uh, Christ. And he's standing there, you know, boldly proclaiming in public the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it was not accepted very well. Look at verse 54 of chapter 7 in Acts. And when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. They were convicted, the Jewish people, that they had crucified their Messiah. And they gnashed on Him with their teeth. But He, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran on him with one accord and cast him out of the city, the Bible says, and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the young man's feet whose name was Saul. This is the first mention of, of uh, the great apostle Paul. Here he is. He's part of, he is the one part of persecuting the church and he consented to Stephen's death. You know, when we read, when Paul, when we think of the Apostle Paul, we think of the man that God used to write most of the New Testament. But now when we see when he wrote there, he said, I am the chief of sinners. We begin to understand that he wasn't just trying to be humble. He really was. He would be what would be kind of like a, a present day terrorist. He, he consented to innocent people's deaths. He said, uh, verse 59, and they stoned Stephen calling on God and saying, Lord, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. It almost is like at the cross when Jesus said, Father, have mercy on them for they know not what they do. And Stephen is being stoned as he's being martyred. He prays for these folks that are killing him, that are stoning him. I can't help, I can't help but think that that must have affected affected Saul of Tarsus, who later became Paul. We see Paul, he continues on his persecution here in chapter 8, in verse 1. The Bible says, And Saul was consenting unto his death, and at the time there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the Apostles. I find that interesting that it took persecution of the church to fulfill what Christ said would happen. There had been some a couple years here in this time, and here we find that what did Jesus say in Acts chapter 1 verse 8? You'll be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. But everything was going so well there at the church of Jerusalem, nobody was going anywhere. Nobody was doing anything until this one guy came along named Saul and started persecuting the church. And that persecution made the church spread and ultimately uh, was, was, was the missions program of the church at Jerusalem. Not the way you want to do it, by persecution, by people having to 
flee and run, run for their lives, but it worked. <laughs> it says, um, verse 2, And devout men called Stephen, uh, and devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hauling men and women, committing them to prison. This is the one that we find out later is Paul the Apostle. So we have here the church, the, the disciples, the deacons, they're, they're preaching the Word of God in boldness, but then Stephen is martyred, he's stoned. You'd think that that would take the, the wind out of their sails, especially for the other seven that was chosen, but then right after that we see Philip in verse 5 begin to preach. He goes into Samaria and he begins to, to preach uh, Christ unto them, and the Bible says, uh, if you read this whole chapter, we're not going to, that the people of Samaria, uh, they believed and heeded the words of Philip with one accord. In verse 8 of chapter 8, it says, and there was great joy in that city. Why? Because Philip had brought the good news. Amen. Philip had come to Samaria and brought the good news of Jesus Christ, and, and the whole city, I mean, if you continue to read that passage, there was this one who was, uh, he, he did sorcery, and he kind of controlled the people of Samaria with his sorcery, but you know what happened to him? Even he accepted Philip's message and was born again. I mean, this is like a, a revival. This is, a, this is something great happening here in Samaria, breaking out. And in the middle of this, in the middle of Philip in Samaria preaching, and, and the whole city really accepting his message, the Holy Spirit comes to Philip and calls him out and tells him to leave. We're getting to where I want to go here. I was doing some background, uh, just some getting to the context. In Acts chapter 8 and verse 26, look here. I mean, Philip's in a great place. He's doing well. The Samar- all of Samaria is, 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 is exce- I mean, isn't it good to, when you, you know, it's awful when it's like Stephen and you preach and everybody's mad at you and staring at you and saying, we don't, we don't like you here and all that sort of stuff like they were doing to Stephen. But in Samaria, man, Philip went in, he preached, and they're all like, yeah, we like this. This is good news. This is exciting. That's the kind of place you want to stay. You know, I'm sure Philip was like, I like it here. This is good. They like me. I like them, you know. Back where I was at, they wanted to kill me for, for saying this, but this is good. But the Holy Spirit pulls him out of there, calls him out of there. Look at verse 26. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south, unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. Philip's in the middle of a little revival here in Samaria, and then, bam, he gets a prompting of the Holy Spirit. He gets called to move somewhere else, down south to the desert. I think the, the, uh, the, the head of missions there, the, the director of evangelism of the church of God, called Philip to move, Jesus Christ himself. Amen. And you say, why? Why did that happen? Look at verse uh, 27. You know, Philip is, he, he's called an evangelist. In, in Acts chapter 28, uh, 21 and verse 8, the Bible calls Philip, Philip the evangelist. And what is an evangelist? An evangelist is one who preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ, preaches the gospel to the lost. We're evangelists, aren't we? Aren't we? I mean, we're, 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 to, we're to tell the good news of Jesus Christ, we're to shine the light, the, the, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and 
And here, Philip, the evangelist, things are going well. He gets moved, doesn't quite understand uh, the reason for the move. Look at uh, verse, verse 27. And he arose and went. That's important. When the, when the Holy Spirit prompts you to obey it, right? And he arose and went. And behold, behold a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the, of the Ethiopians, who had the, who had the charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot, read Isaiah the prophet. So here we have a man that's seeking. And God in His omniscience, His all-knowing, He knows those that are seeking Him. I believe that if you seek the Lord, you will find. Right. I don't. It doesn't matter where you're at. You can be in the, in the down in the Gaza in the desert, and he can take and prompt someone's heart up in Samaria and say, "Go, go." I think if someone's seeking the Lord and seeking truth and saying, "Hey, I want the truth. I want the Lord." I, there's got to be. You know, you ever look up into the stars at night and say, "You know, God, wow, I want to know more about you." I believe if you seek. Our gracious Father will find us or send someone to find us and help us. He's a seeker. He's obviously a seeker. I mean, he went to Jerusalem to worship. He's sitting there reading in his chariot an Old Testament scroll of Isaiah. He's, he's kind of like many of us that we're, we're seeking something. We know there's something. So we go to the, you know, we go buy a Christian book. And say, well, you know, what's going on? I want to know more. I want to know more about this. I'm searching for it. I'd like to see what's going on. Try and worship and, and, and seek the Lord. And Look at verse 29. Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. Philip at this point must have been like, Oh, now I see why... I was called down here when he comes up and sees this guy reading Isaiah and seeking him. And I find it interesting what the Spirit said to Philip. He said, go near. Go, go near and join yourself with him. That's what the Holy Spirit... Have you ever experienced that? I, I believe if we are going to be evangelists, that we're going to have to depend on the Holy Spirit. We're going to have to be spirit-led. And so, you know, not everybody, I don't think we're called to preach to everybody, right? But when the, when the Holy Spirit leads us to a place and shows us, it's kind of like, ah, now I know why I'm here. Now I know why our paths cross. Ah, now I know what's going on. And the Holy Spirit says, hey, go, go near to Him. Go get to know Him. Join yourself to Him. Isn't that the best way of evangelism is, is uh, kind of getting close to somebody? Get to know somebody, get up close to them, and, and, uh, and that Holy Spirit just prompted him, prompted him that way. We have to have spirit-filled evangelism where we're depending on Him. I, I, I've said this before here that in, in, a, in the start of our day, hey Lord, lead me today. If we, if we pray that prayer, do you think He would? Lord, lead me. Lead me throughout my day. 
I think it also gives us more of an awareness to where, you know, Philip, maybe if he wasn't so willing and ready to preach the gospel, he could have saw a guy sitting in his chariot, reading Isaiah, and just going, like, oh, there's a guy reading Isaiah, and just walk right by, right? Not seeing the opportunity, not felt the prompting of the Holy Spirit to go and join himself to it. Now that would be, that would take a little bit of boldness itself, just to kind of walk up to someone and start up a conversation, right? To go up and uh, uh, join yourself to a complete stranger. Have you ever done that? Have to just break the ice with with something? I, I feel like the Bible gives us a good way of doing that, a good way of breaking the ice here. What Philip did in verse 30. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? You know, sometimes when we ask ourselves, hey, I'd like to, I'd like to be a witness. I'd like to tell others about Jesus Christ, but I, I don't know how to get that conversation started. You ever been there? I don't know, I don't know how to, to, you know, break the ice. You know how Philip did it? He did it with a question. Hey, I like what you're reading. Hey, you understand what you're reading? You know. Maybe, maybe that's, you say, I want to start a conversation with a family member or a friend or, or even a co-worker. And so, maybe a question. Hey, do you pray? Are you spiritual? Hey, was your family, did they, or, do you know Christ? What do you think of Christ? Uh, a question. Just a question to kind of see if they're, they're closed. I mean, you can pretty much right away know if you ask a question like that, if it's a, you know, and then just back off and let the Holy Spirit just leave. But sometimes when you ask that question like, hey, you ever read the Bible? And they look at you and say, yeah, I, I got some questions. I got some questions about the Bible. Yeah? That's an open door. Right? To be able to get in there and tell the good news of Jesus Christ. That's what Philip did. He asked the question. We find here in this passage, uh, Philip asked the first question, but the Ethiopian eunuch asked the next three questions. That's an open door. Verse 31. And he said, the Ethiopian said to Philip, How can I except some man guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. I mean, he, that's an open door. When someone says, hey, Come on in. Hey, come on up. Hey, come on over. Hey, I want to talk. Yeah, how can I accept some man? I got questions about the Bible. I'm reading this and, you know, it's just not making sense to me. We talked a week or two ago about the natural man receiving not the things of the Spirit of God. Neither can they know them because they're spiritually discerned. That the Bible is a spiritual book and needs to be taught by the author, the Holy Spirit inside of us. And so folks, when they're reading the Bible, seeking the Lord, many times they do have questions. Many times they do have things that as they're reading it, they're saying, hey, I want some answers here. I have a desire. I'm a seeker. I'm seeking truth. He invites Philip. He invites Philip up and asks him to come in and says, I need some help. I need some answers here. It reminds me of, Romans chapter 10 and verse 13 through 15 where the Bible says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That is a great promise. Anyone, anywhere, anytime calls unto the name of the Lord, they can be saved. Anyone. But then the, then the verse goes like this. How then shall they call upon Him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe on Him in whom they have not heard? 
And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be set as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring good tidings of good things. Those that go, those that preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, I, I, guess, I guess to really be excited about evangelism, you know, sometimes you might be here and say, I'm not excited. It's not, I'm not getting excited about this. I'm not getting excited about Philip, Tom, the Ethiopian eunuch, about Jesus Christ. It doesn't really, how does that affect my everyday life? I think, I think to get excited about evangelism, we've got we to gotta know the value of the message. I mean, it's good news. I, I, I'm convinced that it's the greatest story ever told. I'm convinced that through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is how men, women, and children can have their sins forgiven and their eternity secure in Jesus Christ. I'm, I'm convinced of that. And so the value of the message becomes very important. The value of it. Look at verse 34. Another question. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this? Of himself or of some other man? He's talking about those verses that right before that, are, which are verses out of Isaiah 53, verses 7 and 8. It's talking about Jesus Christ. It's a prophecy of Isaiah about Jesus and his crucifixion. And he's reading this prophecy and he's saying, who's the prophet talking about? Is the prophet talking about himself? Or is the prophet talking about some other guy? I, I think that anytime we have a question about a Bible question, you know, sometimes we, we get a Bible question and we, and we try to be uh, too theological about it. But if, if someone that doesn't know Jesus Christ as a personal Lord and Savior asks a Bible question, think that we should learn from Philip, always take it back around to what the Bible is all about. What is the Bible all about? It's about Jesus Christ. It's about a Savior. It's about a Creator that became a man to save our sins. Always taking the, the question back around, hey, answer it to the best of our ability, but always take the answer back around to really what matters, to really what is important. And that is Jesus Christ. He said, who's he talking about? What a good question. He's talking about Jesus. <laughs> he's talking about Jesus. That's what Philip got to say to him. Yeah, he's talking about Jesus. Look at verse 35. And Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. You know what he probably said? I mean, I don't know what the message was. The Bible doesn't tell us what he preached. He started preaching about Jesus somehow. Maybe he started with the facts of Jesus. Maybe he started with the un, undebatable facts of Jesus, that Jesus was born. I mean, he, he's, he's the greatest historical figure. Hey, he was born. And his life, and in his life, he did these miracles, these great miracles. All he did was good. He raised the dead, healed the leper, all these sort of things. And he began to talk about his life. Right? And then where does his life lead to? His death. He began to talk about Jesus Christ, this innocent, sinless man. 
becoming the Lamb slain for our sins. The one that paid our sin debt. He began to talk about the cross of Calvary. That's what the story of Jesus is. And then he talked about his burial and his resurrection. Now at that point, he's starting to get his attention. Because anytime that you can say that someone in their own power rose from the dead. And we're not talking about just any human being now, are we? We're talking about someone that said, I am the resurrection and the life. He had power over death. And then he began to talk about, I'm sure, his second coming. That Jesus Christ, that who had power in heaven and earth, all power, that He's coming again. He's going to set up a kingdom. We can be part of it. He talked about Him as King of kings and Lord of lords, as the head of the church, as the, our object of worship. I'm sure at some point throughout there, He was urging Him to consider Jesus. That's what you and I are. We're, we're, we're just there to say, consider Christ. Consider Jesus. Consider His life and His death and His burial and His resurrection. That is the gospel message. Sometimes we get complex and, and think, well, I can't be a witness because I don't know all the facts. Well, you know what you happened to you and you know the gospel, which is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1. He said, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel. Talking to the church there, he said, Which you received and wherein you stand. By which also ye are what? Saved. You say, how are we saved? Through receiving the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. How that I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins. That He was buried and He rose again the third day according to the Scripture. And then He was seen of Cephas, Peter, and all the apostles saw Him. 500 people saw Him at once, the resurrected Christ. The evidence of His resurrection. When Paul wrote that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15... Those people, most of those people were still alive that had saw the resurrected Christ. He urged him. He urged him to consider Christ. Now look at verse 36. After preaching, after telling him about Jesus, in verse 36, and as they went their way, there came, uh, they came unto a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here's water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? That's a good question. Hey, what's stopping me from being baptized? Now, now the eunuch, he was asking that question because he wanted to be. He, he, wanted, he wanted all there was. He, 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 he was seeking the truth, and here, here he just heard it. And so he was ready to receive it. But that, that what hinders me? That's a good question to ask. Because you know what I find? Uh, there's a lot of folks that come close to Christ. They hear the gospel. They see the truth. And they're really close but all of a sudden, right at the end, when it comes time to receive, when it comes time to commit their life to Christ, something hinders them. It might be family, it might be pride, it might be fears, it might be just questions, just, just something that hinders them from just taking that step of faith and surrender. And really, it's that step of faith that begins to, like I talked about last week, open our eyes to the, to the greater things of Christ. But sometimes we're hindered. I, I think of, of Paul when he preached to King Agrippa. Remember that? He told King Agrippa his whole testimony, how he come to know Christ. And what did King Agrippa say? Almost. Almost. Thou persuadest me to be a Christian. 
There was something that was hindering King Philip from going all the way. But not here, not in this case, not with the Ethiopian eunuch. He was saying, hey, if there's anything that hinders me from accepting Christ, from being baptized, I want it. I want to get it. I want, I want, I want all there was. You know, isn't that funny how things like when the Holy Spirit's orchestrating things, how things just happen quick? I mean, I don't think that the Ethiopian eunuch woke up that morning and thought that by the end of the day some complete stranger would be baptizing him in the body of water somewhere. You know what I mean? And it's kind of fun to serve the Lord. It's kind of fun to be spirit-led and, and led of Christ because I don't think Philip woke up that morning and thought that he was going to be baptizing a complete stranger in the body of water. But sometimes the Holy Spirit... I remember, Herb, when you got baptized. The morning you set, when, the morning or the day that you got baptized, that morning you didn't think you were going to, did you? There's just a prompting of the Holy Spirit. said, so, you know what? I want to do this. I want to do it right now. So we see the Holy Spirit work in our lives sometimes. And when, he's, when He just speaks up, man, it's like a... It's a, it's a thrill. It's a thrill to be led of Christ and see it. And here we see these, the Holy Spirit supernaturally bringing these two together for His work and His plan. And here's Philip's answer in verse 37. And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. You know the only, the, only rec- the only thing that's required for baptism? Is salvation. That's it. It's the only thing. He said, hey, if you believe, you, I just preached to you the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I just told you about Christ. If you believe that, if you receive that, then, then there's nothing hindering you from being baptized. There's nothing. If you receive Christ, He receives you. There's a union there. You become one with Christ, part of the body of Christ. Nothing would hinder you, only faith. For by grace you say, through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. He said, if you believe, what's the eunuch say? And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He, yeah, he, he was born again. He accepted Christ right there, and I, I, you know, praise God for that. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't it wonderful when someone just receives the, the, the good news of Jesus Christ? The Bible says that the angels in heaven rejoice around the throne of God over one sinner that repents. When he accepted Christ, you know, the eunuchs in heaven today. We read this story, but I mean, it, it, it affected his eternity. It affects ours. It's serious. It is serious business, isn't it? The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to have a chance to disciple folks. We want to have a chance to, to, to lead folks to Christ uh, and then see them discipled. But Philip, his job here was just to go and tell the good news. The verse after that says that they never saw each other again. You know? And so, Philip did his job. He opened his mouth. The eunuch received it. And then what happened? He, the Holy Spirit led him. Led him a different direction. I'm sure he, uh, you know, the Holy Spirit inside of a person can, can uh, lead them to truth. Uh, once a person's been born again, they have God living inside of them. He can begin to uh, just lead and guide their paths throughout life. You know, sometimes we have an example here of, of the, the, the eunuch accepting the message, and that's exciting, but not everybody does. 
And don't be discouraged. Don't be, re- don't be discouraged. Don't feel bad about rejection. Because as we read the scripture, Paul, everywhere he went, some received and some rejected. Jesus Christ himself was rejected. And so rejection may be just part of preaching the gospel. We don't, it's not up to us who receives it. It's not up to us who accepts it and who rejects it. It's just us to, up to us to open our mouths and tell the good news of Jesus Christ. In closing, this is just an encouragement to us to be a going, a doing church. Not just here, but when we leave here, tomorrow, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, being Spirit-led, being, being hoping that the Holy Spirit would lead us and guide us and show us to be a, a, a church that's fishers of men, like we're called to. To be a lighthouse. Not just here, that's what I'm saying. Each of us in our own little mission field, where we're at, during the week, seeing it as, hey, I, I want to be, be a deliverer of the, the water of life. A wellspring. You know what Philip was? He was ready, and he was willing. I think willing is half of the battle, right? To be willing to have a desire to open our mouths to tell others about Jesus Christ. Are you willing? Are you willing this morning? If, if the opportunity arrives, if you see the Holy Spirit leading us and prompting us, are we willing to open our mouths and tell the good news? Are we ready? If we're ready, then we're looking for it, right? We're kind of expecting it. We're kind of saying, all right, I'm following the Holy Spirit today. I wonder where He's going to lead me. I wonder who, you know, when we get, when our, what if our day completely changes and we, we end up going a whole different direction than what we had planned? Instead of being completely frustrated with it, I wonder if we would stop, stop and sit back and say, hey, maybe the, maybe the Lord's got a reason for this. Maybe I'm going to meet someone today. Maybe someone needs to know something. Maybe someone needs to hear something. Hey, I'm a carrier of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I've got the good news. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you've been close. Maybe you've been seeking. Maybe you're a worshiper. Maybe you've uh, been like the eunuch where you're looking and and today you'd say, you know what, I'm ready to lay all my questions aside. I'm ready to activate my faith. I'm ready to receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. It's really just considering Christ. And do you know Him? Do you know Him as Lord and Savior? Is there a, is there a relationship? Is there a bond with Him that is real? Have you been born again? We're going to have a moment of prayer as so as we pray. Just bow your heads, everyone. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, I'm just here to welcome you. Jesus welcomes you. He's done everything in His part, on His side, to make you His own, to forgive your sins. If you're here this morning and you say, I want to do that, I want to believe, I want to receive. Maybe you'd say a prayer to yourself, something like this. Heavenly Father God, I know that you sent your Son to pay for my sin. I know that he died on the cross, that he rose again. God, I'm receiving him as my Lord and Savior. I believe in Jesus Christ with all my heart. I'm giving him my life. 
I'm surrendering myself to the Lord. Be my God, my Savior.